the night that he came home. That night, he tore a bloody rampage through the world of cinema, and suddenly, trick-or-treating was lethal again. His name was Michael Myers, and the night was Halloween. Welcome to Filmstrip and our Halloween retrospective series. Here to protect you from the clutches of Michael Myers or the Silver Shamrock Corporation are Brian. More fancy talk. And Jay. We are talking about evil on two legs. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Halloween films. It's time Michael. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. This is our review of Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, starring Donald Pleasance, Ellie Cornell, Danielle Harris, Bo Starr, and George P. Wilbur. Directed by Dwight H. Little, released in 1988 on a budget of $5 million, grossed over $17 million at the box office. So, ten years later, and after the perceived misfire of Part 3, Mustafa Akkad and company decide we want to go back to Halloween... But we're not doing it without Michael Myers. And so I, my question to you was, is this to start with? They're going to go back to Halloween. Is it smart to go back to Michael Myers even after the way part two had ended? If they're going to do it and they, they've had this much time between the third one and now, I, why not? Yeah, I, gu- I know, guess so. I, it's like a franchise, right? What, what if Friday the 13th didn't have Jason? Yeah, true. It probably wouldn't work as well. So it makes sense to me that they they brought back Myers and just decided to make it a franchise like that. And I think probably with the success of your Nightmares on Elm Street and your Friday the 13th, that's probably why they did it. That is exactly right. You had all of those films coming out. Hellraiser had been out. There's all these slasher films were cashing in on what Halloween had really started. And so, again, they were like, we can't just sit here on this. We've got to do it, and we've got to do it with Myers. They went back to John Carpenter and said, hey, you want to do something? And he had this really weird idea about, like, well, let's just visit the town and that the, the evil that had you know been in Michael will just you know visit itself upon several people and we'll have a bunch of different killers. And they're all like, no, 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 no. It's going to be Michael in the mask and the whole bit we got to come up with that and so and the 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 funny thing about the way it was done is they commissioned for the script to be done they had you know several people working in a writer's room there's four people credited with the story i'm told it's really more like eight people that sort of banded the story around and then they hired one of those guys alan mcelroy to write it and they said by the way you have to do it in 11 days because the writer's strike is coming up and we've got to get so he he did this in you know less than two weeks which is pretty amazing <laughs> i would say impressive yes yeah and i will whether the results are impressive or not i guess we'll get into but brian why don't you tell us about the return of michael myers michael myers survived the explosion and fire in halloween 2 but has been in a coma since that night while being transferred back to smith's grove michael comes out of his coma and overhears that laurie strode died in a car accident but has a living daughter jamie lloyd Michael escapes the transport and heads to Haddonfield in search of Jamie. Fellow survivor Dr. Loomis also goes to Haddonfield after learning that Michael has escaped transfer. Michael kills several people in the town as he chases Jamie and her stepsister Rachel. Eventually, the police track Michael down and shoot him several times before he falls down a mine shaft. (laughs) And in a shocking sequence at the end, Jamie stabs her foster mother with a pair of scissors, leaving us to believe the evil in Michael has passed onto her. And that is the plot summary for 
part, I would say three in the Michael Myers story, Halloween four. Yeah, the it, return it, of Michael Myers. Yes, it is the part three of the Michael story. But wow! So I, you know, what the thing that grabs me about this one and always has is my brother saw this in the theater in 1988. He was in high school. He was old enough to go to this kind of movie by himself. Of course, at that point, I had already seen the original Halloween and seen Halloween two. And I was really curious about it because you saw the TV ads and he went and saw it and he came home and tried to tell me about it. I didn't quite get it. So uh, it was a few years later that I ended up renting this on, on VHS and watching it for the first time. And I was really taken just by the way it opens because all the other Halloween films have opened up on a pumpkin or just on some eerie music. And this time it just opens up on like shots of fields and farmland and the town. And, and I never thought about it really until – several viewings of this and going like, you know, if they wanted to, if they wanted to do an interesting story, if they really wanted to be original with this Carpenter, wasn't wrong to go with the idea of let's revisit what this town would be like 10 years after that slaughter that had taken place back in the, in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. The I unfortunate mean, thing is that they don't even go with any of that. Like the only people that seem to be able to acknowledge it are the cops. None of which right. were around then. Well, they all seem to think of it as an urban legend, right? Well, most of them, you know, the drunks at the at the bar is one thing, but yeah, like you don't, I don't know, it's it's strange. Like drunks they, at the bar, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they open. We're gonna get to those guys, but they open up with this, you know, all these ominous shots of the town and stuff before we get into the the transfer, which we'll talk about in a second. And I'm like, man, it seems like they're setting us up for this uh let's you know see what this town but you know what would it be like in this town 10 years later would they even celebrate halloween brian would they even be able to do it um, obviously the answer is yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i'm asking um, I, realistically I, it's 10 years like a decade right mm-hmm. so yeah i think that they would a lot of the um the kids who were there at the time are, are grown up and a lot of the grown-ups probably are either gone or too old to care so to in my opinion, yeah, I think that they would be able to celebrate Halloween again. It seems like they... It, it also seems like, from the first two movies, that only a f- select few people were affected by this. Yeah, it, it does seem to be like it's... I, I don't know, that the people who were most affected by it have all moved on away from the town. you know, Or yeah. have died, as it turns out. Because that's how they write out Jamie Lee Curtis's character of... Uh, Lori Strode is that she dies in a car wreck, you know, her and her husband, Jamie's parents. And Jamie is then taken into foster care by the Carruthers, who apparently yeah. knew the Strodes some way because I think Rachel, the sister, dropped some line about your mother used to babysit me when I was your age, but you didn't know that, you know, or something like that. And so it's I, all this I, I, interconnected stuff. I took it as that she was the girl in the first movie that she was babysitting. She is not that same girl. That, okay. That, that was a different chick. But uh, you're not the first person I've heard that says that. And um, But, no, she is a different person. So supposedly, if you, if you want to have that little retcon in there, the girl that picks her and Jamie up from school when they go to get ice cream and all that other crap later on, yeah. that's supposed to be that girl. Uh-huh, so, but okay. it's not it's not the same actress obviously but that's supposed to be that girl and then it, and then they just let it go so but gotcha. uh, but yeah but no Rachel's a different girl but she's you know she's one of the many girls but look, think about this for a minute here Jamie's seven years old okay which means she was born three years after everything that happened on Halloween night mm-hmm. 
isn't that a little fast for Laurie? Like she hadn't even gone out on a date. <laughs> well, maybe that changed. It's conceivable. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I know a lot of people who have met and married after only a few months yeah. of dating. So it's conceivable that that yes could happen. Okay, it's it's just a little short on the time, but you know whatever they they're gonna play it for that. But we'll come back to them in a minute because I do want to talk about the rest of the opening, and that is the you know the rain soaked drive and the uh, people in the ambulance that are taking Michael from the federal institution where he's housed basically back to Smith's Grove for reasons that are never really explained. Even the, the lead administrator yeah. is just like, yeah, I just want him out of here. I want Loomis to die. <laughs> you know, I just, what she, that's what it came what, off. It, what it? an asshole boss. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, he says that whole bit like, I'm hoping that now that he's gone, he'll retire or die. So, yeah. and, he, and the die came out more as like, and I would just prefer that he die. Yeah. What a dink. But uh, <laughs> This guy's an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's been 10 years, and people don't understand the gravity of the person that they have in their uh, facility. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it's going to come off, because Loomis seems to be the only one who actually understands why it would be a very bad idea to move him. Mm-hmm. You get the idea that nobody has ever believed Loomis, even after all the right. carnage. Correct. Like, they still didn't believe it. First things first, though. Michael survives that blast and that burning. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, they, you know, they show his hands and they're kind of scarred up. His face is all bandaged up and stuff like that. But I will say this for the amount of fire that was swelling around him, those hands are scarred, but they're not nearly what I would expect from a, a burn victim of that you know, level. Well, it's 10 years later. They could have done plastic surgery or something. Why would you do plastic surgery on a federal uh, uh, inmate who is me. in a coma? <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> they could heal. Who knows? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, good if that's the worst of it is the blisters on his hands, then, you know, wow. Yeah. Impressive. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, wow. That's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty neat, but I, I do love how the, even they play him to get that one woman that's checking his blood pressure while the other dude signing the paperwork and just that hand just kind of drops. Yeah. And it's just lifeless, you know, and you don't know what he's there. And it, let me ask you if you read it this way. He's laying in the gurney. They're driving down the road, and the two doctors are having this conversation about who does he belong to. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, the sister's dead because she died in a car wreck, but uh, he's got a living niece. And then you see his hand just grip the thing like, son of a bitch. You know? right? And I'm like, is that what wakes him up hearing yeah. that news? Absolutely, that's what wakes him up. It, it's like he's got a vendetta against all the women in his family. Yes. That's that what he's going with. Yeah, I mean, his, his older sister he killed, and now he went after the younger sister. He almost killed her three or four times. And now the niece. You know, and that's, yep. that's the story. That's what they decide to go with. And now we talked in uh, the first and second Halloweens about how we thought that teenage sexual promiscuity was kind of the uh, – trigger for him right that's what we were thinking it seems, seemed like everyone, it, right, even everyone though even though the writer and director were wanting to well even though the writer and director claims not but yeah it's hard not to see that in this that's what it felt like in the first two films you're right now you've got this little girl that he's going after and it's kind of like oh, okay that obviously is not a theme here i guess now it's just more about 
family, family, and whoever gets in the way. Right, like that—that that is a change in the dynamic, and it it will set the next three chapters. This one included on a path that. I would say it's very different than what the first two chapters were because it is no longer a girl in, you know, exploring her sexuality or on the verge of it or any of that stuff that he is after. It is just, you know, familiar relations that he seems to be obsessed with. And, you know, again, anybody that gets in his way, because that's always been a case. Anybody that gets in Michael's way gets, gets slashed, strangled, electrocuted, you know, whatever. Right. Drowned in a hot tub, you name it. So, but <laughs> all sorts of good fun stuff. Yeah, all, all sorts of things. But yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I will say this though: I love how that doctor never gets to finish his sentence about you know I just don't understand it, and he gets his head smashed in with the thumb mm-hmm. to the forehead. It's a really gory effect, and then it show us anything else. And I will say this now: like you know, horror movies today would show us that whole crash. We'd see every oh, sure. you know splitting minute of it. But I love how later that's just they roll up on like the. You know, I'm sure it was budget reasons, but it's a good story reason too. Well, it's the way to do it too. You don't really yeah. need to see the gore to know what's happening, right? Right. You just roll I, up on that bus and it's just covered in blood. That tells you everything yeah. you need to know. Yeah, and I kind of like that they didn't show us everything. That they left it to your imagination as to what he did next, right? Right. And it makes it more a little more scary to me. It does. It does add a little bit of scare to it. What takes the scare away from it is. That Michael goes on this bender to like get his uniform back. Like he goes to a garage, he kills another mechanic, he gets the jumpsuit. You know, later he'll go to a Walgreens or whatever and get the same mask. By the way, talk about a town getting over it. They're still selling the damn mask. <laughs> they are. It's a novelty item now, right? It's like what, what's I, more scary than Michael Myers? I guess there are still people out there wanting to be the faceless garage man at Halloween, like Bennett Tramer was. You'd think at least the Tramer family would have, you know, put a kibosh on that. But uh, there's a lot of time spent on Michael gearing up with his stuff, and I never really took him as those specific items were important to him. I do think we've established the fact that he wears the mask when he kills and all that stuff. That's part of his disassociative disorder. But I don't think it mattered what mask it was. It just happened to be what he came across, right? Like it, it seems to be more, I don't know. Like I would have been okay if it had been different masks. Um, I don't think you could have sold uh, anyone on that. I think it has to be the same mask because that defines the character, right? Right. But- the look. And if he would have gone in there and grabbed a a werewolf mask, (laughs) it just wouldn't have worked. (laughs) It would have have been a very different way to take it. It would have been a bolder way to do it, I'll say that. Yeah. So I I like that they kept the mask. I mean, it definitely looks a little better than it did in the first two films. You think so? See, I think this mask looks horrible. Oh, Oh, really? No, I think it looks more defined and and better defined. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of different masks that he will wear. We can talk about the masks as we go through each of these films. You happen to like this one. I think this one doesn't look as good. It looks, I don't know, the face is bigger. But it, anyway, mm-hmm. that's nitpicking. The the actor, or the stuntman playing him is a lot of a bigger dude, too, that, that we've had. He's actually probably the biggest one until Tyler Maine comes along. He's, George Wilbur's kind of a big guy. But... I don't know. I, I'm I'm intrigued at least because I'm wanting to know what his psychosis is. What is he trying to do, right? And we've already talked about Loomis coming in. What did you make of Donald Pleasant showing back up in this thing? I mean, he looks pretty bad. I like that Dr. Loomis is back because it ties the movie again back to the original thing. He's the guy who's chasing this guy down, and I think it's good that they have him. Like, he does look bad. 
Um, he looks like he's aged not so gracefully. And I like that they made him look that way with the, the with the cane, the walk, and all this stuff. I mean, he doesn't seem like an imposing character to go after Michael Miles, I tell you that. Yeah, I mean, he's limping around. He can barely talk. He's got all those burn scars. I mean, he's he's a feeble old man at this point. I mean, he was an older man to begin with. Now yeah. he's you know barely hanging on. But it, I think you've hit on it. It's hard to have Dracula without Van Helsing. You know, yeah. it's, it's just hard to, to have that story because who else is going to face off, right? I agree. It, it is. And and I like I, I think that Van Helsing is a great uh, analogy for this. Without Loomis chasing after him, and now obviously without Laurie Strode, she's dead, mm-hmm. you have to have something to time together. And Loomis is a perfect character because he is the guy who has been the one to stop him in the other two films. So it's only fitting that he's back in this one to try and stop him again. And that is how Donald Pleasance plays it. And he has said that and had said that for years that he felt like this was the Van Helsing of the series. And so he played that hero way that he was on a quest no matter what happened. So uh, I did get a, a big chuckle out of the way that the whole gas station like goes up in flames and that, that takes out the phone lines in the town. I'm like, well, that, that is Michael is like knocking out four or five birds in one stop here. I mean, you talk about one stop shopping and I, I'm going to blame that entirely on the fact that this script was written in 11 days that they were like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't even know if that was even well defined in the script and they're like, okay, screw it. We'll just, we'll have all that happen. Cause sure. All that, all that Rube Goldberg shit can go down in one place. <laughs> but hey, it wouldn't fit if it if it went anywhere else, right? Well, I mean, the whole thing is that he is going back to Haddonfield, and Loomis seems to be the only one that knows it. But the well, thing that which is ridiculous to me, right? Well, that's what he's always. But here's the thing, though: when Loomis shows up at the police station for the first time in this series, the sheriff and the deputies take it seriously. Like the adults in this film actually take it seriously. Rachel's parents come back looking for them after everything goes down and they get the call. Like, you know, th- it's no longer this absent, you know, adultism in the in the town, which I did like. I was like, Man, at least the cops are like, okay, screw that. And they started arming up quick. Yeah, well, it's good to know that someone knows what's going on when they're right. named Michael Myers. Everyone else is kind of joking about it, right? Oh, oh yeah, Michael Myers. Uh. But the, these guys are, oh, this is some serious shit. We need to get our butts in gear. And I like that. I like that uh, the original um, the original sheriff has left town, yeah, which makes right. complete sense because his daughter was one of the victims. Exactly. So why would you stick around? I mean, so I like that they paid that off. And then we got the new sheriff in town who's going to help out here. And he knows exactly what happened and everything else. So that's good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I like how all these people react immediately. And unlike last time, remember when Loomis told the cops, no, don't put out on the APB. You'll just send people over the rails or whatever. This time he's like, screw that. Tell everybody to get inside. Tell everybody what's going on. We know. Because to me, I'm like, okay, that's actual learning, though, because that never happens in these movies. We talked about last time, like the, the biggest parts of Halloween 2 are – predicated upon the fact that everyone makes the worst possible stupidest decision that they could make at the time <laughs> at least loomis this time is like i'm telling you people you need to get you know batten down the hatches because this shit is about to get real and and I, it does right and it, and it does it does but now the other thing is is that michael seems to have like a real plan in mind he knocks out the town's power by going after the dude working on the power grid on halloween night now how about that I mean, that seemed to be a little bit beyond even what he was able to, I mean, would you lay in there for 10 years going, well, the first thing I'm going to do next time is take out the whole damn town's power. 
Yeah, that was, uh, well, smart thinking. <laughs> but he <laughs> never my, put that kind of thing forward before. Like, that to me sounds no, like right. that's a little bit, I don't know, that's almost too much. Like, Well, and, and the way it happens is almost too much, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you threw someone into that, that that would necessarily go down in real world. But, um yeah. What a visual. <laughs> well, it was a great visual of Bucky. You know, you start that Halloween crap with me and then, you know, he's yeah. gone. It's it's funny that, that he plays it that way. But, um, you know, of course, the whole town gets blacked out at that point. Yeah. And and what we don't know is that Rachel and Jamie are out, you know, trick or treating. She's had to take her sister trick or treating. So she blew off her date with her would be boyfriend. Right. Only yeah. to catch him screwing around with the sheriff's daughter who doesn't oh, wear yeah. pants in October. Brad, you grew up in the Midwest. In October, it's it's not pantsless weather, right? Well, it depends. Yeah. Uh, it can be. Uh, um, it has been in the past, <laughs> but uh, most years, at least here in Minnesota, it's kind of chilly. Last year, I think it was nice uh, in the fifties or sixties. For you in Alabama, that would not be pants weather. For us in Minnesota, very, very much pants weather. Yeah, sweat. yeah, no, now, yeah. Halloween <laughs> usually down here is still pretty, pretty balmy. Like it could still be in the you know upper seventies, eighties, depending on what what's going on. So like that girl around here, yes, I could believe it. But well, and, and up here for us, fifties and sixties, yeah, that's. Uh, T-shirt and shorts. Well, yeah. See, I guess it's just the different. It's the different place. But the whole bit is that she is, you know, supposed to be this sex kitten, right? And 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 when yeah. she lays that whole speech on Rachel later on, she's like, you know, you better wise up to what men want, which is basically you better <laughs> right. be a whore, or you're never going to exactly. get a, a get a man. And I'm like, well, that's not very progressive there. <laughs> Sheriff yeah. Sheriff's daughter. So. Well, yeah. when you think about it, the sheriff's kids are usually the, the, the bad ones. I thought it was the preacher's kids, but I guess well, it was, that too. <laughs> yes, it was only if he was like also the part time minister or something. But at any right. rate, so, uh, but no, I love how the, they don't know what's going on. Like the, Rachel and Jamie, you get, don't know what's happening. They've just seen that go down and then they get separated for a minute and then she finds him. But along the way, Michael is stalking them. And he's stalking Jamie, and you know they don't know it, right? And here's my thing: How does he know that is her unless he just hears somebody call her? He's never seen her. The sheriff even calls Good that. Good question. Yeah, that's actually an excellent question because you're right. Uh, they don't really point her out at any point in time. He's never known that she even existed because he's been in a coma the whole time. Yeah, until that so, ride, he didn't know. So. Yeah, very good question. I'm not sure how he knew it was her. I guess he uh, maybe saw a resemblance. No, the only thing I could think of was that you know when he picks up that mask in the store, he hears somebody you know, scream her name, and then that's how he's like, oh, well, maybe that's her. Could be. And that's just yeah. you know that he just figures it out from there. I don't know. Small town. Who knows? You know, we don't know. We're not let in on it. It is one of the holes in the plot. Probably again because this was written in eleven days. So, yeah. but that, that's not what we even care about, right? We want to get to the stalking, to the killing. And I will say this: that this movie takes its sweet time to get to the the actual slaughter. It's supposed to be staged similar to the way the first one went, where you didn't really get to the killing until deep into the film. Yeah, and which I'm okay with. You know, I, I like the the build, the slow build that they do to do that. So for me, to to have to wait, I mean, not necessarily true either, because we did get killing 
in the in the car in the first act. Right, but just like but, the first movie, you had the kill right at the beginning and then nothing for a little while. For a while, and yeah. I think that's I think that's a trademark, maybe hopefully, of this franchise <laughs> that they do it like that because it really builds suspense. I mean, to sit there and watch him stalk his prey. I think it's kind of suspenseful. Well, it is the way Myers operates. Like Jason will just grab you and just tear your head off. Freddie right. screws with you in your dreams. You know, Michael Myers seems to be the stalker of the three yeah. of them. That's his mo, right? And so I don't know. I kind of I like that about him. I like the fact that that's what he does and that he does take his time. And I love the whole bit about the they go get the girls back to their house and then they were like, okay, your parents aren't here. Let's go over to my house and hold up. And the deputy gets in his car and here's what's going on. And he, Michael's laying in the back seat of the car again. And I'm like, that's, that's Michael Myers. That's what he does is he sneaks mm-hmm. around and waits to pounce on you. Yeah. And I like that. I think that's good. It's almost like he's um, trying to learn your habits maybe, or yeah, find the perfect way to get to you. Well, it, it is. It's the stalker mentality. And I think that's what makes him, if he's going to be frightening, that would make him frightening. Oh, the fact yeah. that he is observant, that he watches you, you know, and then he gets a, a hold of you. And he pretty much, I mean, he does most of his killing in one, you know, four or five minute scene here in the sheriff's house. The sheriff, now we need to break away for a minute because everybody in the town is being told, go home, clean out. They call the local bar and tell that. And the barkeep is like, I ain't closing down without a good reason. Well, they, yeah, they don't even call. They, they broadcast it on TV. Yeah. And the barkeep tries to call the police station to find out if it's true and why. Right. Because and he doesn't want to close. And he can't get an answer. It, and he can't get an answer at the police station. So him oh, and the rednecks, which I didn't know that, you know, middle America had, you know, stereotypes like where I come from. Oh, please. <laughs> so, They're everywhere, dude. <laughs> I guess Jeff Foxworthy made a living off of proving that too. So, yeah. but yeah, these guys are like, okay, we're going to go, go to Ben's house. We're going to go to the sheriff's house. We're going to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, we're not going to you know take this line down this time. And I'm like, okay, so the posse is out now too. That's different than last time. Cause it seemed like the adults were nowhere to be found. They were all at a swinger party or something. They're all getting <laughs> hammered together somewhere. So, <laughs> and they are again, by the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of them are, but not all of them. So, because, because in that back and forth, they're out there running around and they think they, you know, see Myers running around in the, in the bushes oh, yeah. and they shoot and kill a local. <laughs> you son yes. of a bitch. You said that was Myers. That's Ted Hollister. Oh my God. I mean, unreal. And the, the best part is when they tell about it. <laughs> oh, okay. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, only Ted. Yeah, it's only Ted. He's an asshole. You know what I mean? Maybe Ted was related to Doctor Chalice, and nobody really was going to miss him. Uh, I don't know. But was, I was, was unreal. I, I was like, poor Ted, poor Ted Hollister. You know. But when they, you know, the the sheriff and Loomis get back to the station, or they realize the entire police station has been destroyed by Michael Myers. And in a scene we didn't see, he went in there and killed all of the cops. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, yeah. that's bold. That is very bold. Um, yeah. I thought it was kind of an interesting scene. They'll go there. And maybe, maybe that's where he found out who she was. He went to the records. Maybe so. I mean, that's the thing is, and the difference, the difference here for me is that we've just never seen Michael plan out like this before, unless we are to believe that he spent the first 15 years in his hospitalization planning to go kill the sister that he knew he had that didn't remember him. 
mm-hmm. know, that, that he just sat there and thought it through. And maybe, maybe that's what he's done the last 10 years. We don't know. He's, he's evil. This is what he did. But I like how, I mean, I know it, it is, a, it's plot contrivance, but it actually makes sense when you think about it. It's like, well, you know, if you were going to, you know, stage an attack on a place where you had been thwarted before, you would go take out everything that was a problem for you the last time. Let's get the power out of the way. Let's take the cops out of this. Let's, you know, let's get everything possibly set up and then let's corner the people in one place and take them out one by one. Because that's essentially what he does. The sheriff leaves because he hears about the you know the rednecks shooting up town, you know, and so he's going <laughs> to check that shit out with with uh, Loomis. And which while Loomis goes, I never understood. But anyway, he goes and and or maybe Loomis is chasing him down the street or something. I don't know. But he he goes and then the pickoff in the house starts and it starts with that one deputy, you know. That that was an interesting scene mm-hmm. where he kills the Loomis cheap goes. Girl. Yeah, L- Loomis goes. Are you talking about why Loomis goes to the house with the cop, or why he leaves that place? Why would he leave that place? He leaves that place because he believes Michael Myers is going to go to his house, the Myers house. Okay, right. So he and he, and I think he even says that as he was leaving, that Michael's going to okay. be here. I need to go there. Okay. So he leaves for that house, which leaves. Uh, the boyfriend uh, or would be boyfriend, yeah, Brady, the daughter, yeah, the the one cop, mm-hmm. and uh, the girl and and Rachel, so right. Jamie and Rachel, they're all left in there. The, why the sheriff decides to leave, I don't quite understand. It's well, his house; he should probably protect. Well, it. He, he says it. He says, "I've got a town full of beer bellies out there shooting off shotguns," <laughs> yeah. and so he he leaves the deputy there. And it's like, you, you know, he tells Brady, you, you grow up my daughter, I'll shoot you. But in the meanwhile, here's a gun and go board up the windows and protect everybody. And he leaves that deputy downstairs. So that's what, you know, it's getting authority out of the way. But we, we, you know, what they all, what we know as the audience is that Michael is there somewhere. He's, you know, followed over in that, in that police car with the guy. Yeah. So he has come in there and the, you know, the blonde girl, the sheriff's daughter, goes to you know bring him some some uh hot tea or whatever and she's lighting a candle thinking she's talking to him sitting in that rocking chair because we've seen him sitting in the rocking chair with the shotgun and then when she lights the light he's like crumpled up over in the corner (laughs) like michael eyes wide open yeah it's folded him in half and then he repeats the kill of bob from mm-hmm. the first film, but instead of a knife, he takes that that over under double barrel and pins her to the wall with it. Ouch! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Nope. She gets the hanging from the wall uh, a kill in this one, mm-hmm. and then uh, after that, uh, it's is it the boyfriend who comes down or Rachel who comes down and finds her? I think well, it's Rachel. Yeah, right? Rachel comes down and hears all that commotion and sees that go down, you know, sees that happening. Cause Kelly's hung up on the wall by Michael and Michael, you know, is looking at her and turns around to go after everybody else. Cause he hears him screaming. Now he's like, okay, now I know where you are. And he's goes after him. But I, I want to talk about the Meeker kids death for a minute. Cause it's a, it's a change in things. Cause I mean, Michael's, that's weird that he he killed somebody that the audience is predisposed to not like at that point. Like I know the skeezy nurse and you know uh, uh, EMT last time like weren't the most lovable characters on Earth, <laughs> but this is different. Like this is what Jason had turned to doing was killing all the people that you hated from your high school. So that's what made it fun. I, I just thought that was different this time. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I don't know that 
I guess you're predisposed to dislike her because she slept with the one girl's would-be boyfriend, but they seem to be getting along okay (laughs) at this little mean grit and and all that and whatever. But I I just took it as he's going to kill everyone in the house. I guess so, I guess it's I all, don't see a problem with it. It's all about the pickoff, right? Because the next thing is he goes after Brady, who can't shoot with the damn <laughs> with that gun, and he gets a hold of him. And I I love Brady's death. See, so picks him up and like just crushes his face. And the way that shot with the light and the guy's thumb going into the dude's face and stuff, it mm. looks much more gruesome than it really is. And I don't know. I, it just, it sound, it's a, it's a good uh, moment of sound editing, meeting a good shot in a film. And this film doesn't have as good a camera work as the other ones have had. I, I'll say that right now. Mrs. Dean Cundy's touch, but this is probably the best shot in the whole film. It looks pretty, pretty cool when he's taking him out. It, 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 yeah, the, the kills in this are actually done pretty well uh, to the point where, where it looks decent on the film. I, I liked how they've done this. I like the chase through the house trying to escape him, too. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with that. And I, I kept wondering how the hell they're going to do this. And to actually have it end up where they're on the roof, which appears to be made out of uh, uh, ceramic or metal <laughs> shingles. Yeah, and about one foot off the ground. So <laughs> it does yeah, not. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and not, it is like, uh, you know, slippery and all this stuff, but he has no problem climbing it. As yeah, you see, yeah, no, I, I do. <laughs> She's like, having a hard time, but he doesn't. I do like the chase though when he's after Rachel and Jamie, and he's mm-hmm. swinging that butcher knife at him, and especially the part where Rachel's hanging onto the gutters, and he's basically trying to cut her hands off, and she just Forced, falls. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, I mean, I thought at that point, what, is she dead? Because that's what it seemed like, didn't it? Yeah, because I mean, you now you and said they played it like she she was. Yeah, because the seven year old can't wake her up, and then Michael just appears around the corner and starts coming after her. I yeah. don't know. I I thought that was pretty uh, again a, a dark turn, and it's where the and, and we haven't talked much about Jamie Daniel Harris. You know, is a scream queen. She does a lot of horror movies, stuff like that. And bless her heart, like from being in this film and in the next one, she's in the fifth one too. Like she had a real life stalker in her life and it, it haunted her for years the the stuff she dealt with and she's been pretty open and talked a lot about it but for a kid actor a lot of times kid actors in horror films we've talked about this before like they don't really know what they're in and they just they sort of indiscriminately suck at what they do but mm. she and the kid that played Danny in The Shining are always my go-to examples of it, except those two kids because she's you know a pretty good little actress for a kid yeah, I thought she actually did a pretty good job in this film, and she was a believable actress too. She, I believed her plight. I mean, she she's basically been having monster nightmares mm-hmm. of of Michael Myers, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting because she obviously had never met him. Yeah, well, but, but she keeps seeing him in well, visions and whatnot. You have some feeling that somewhere along the way she knew about that. Like, well, she would have to. You yeah, think, you'd right? think it, it would be hard I'm to guessing, be in that town and not know that. You well, know? that, and I'm guessing Mom probably had some nightmares. Yeah, I, I would bet that's a good a good stake. I know people bang on that all the time, and I'm like, you know, no, I think she would know. I'm like, I, even a kid, like you would just say, well, you know, my brother was a bad guy, and he, he tried to hurt us once. You know, at least that much that she would know that much. But 
again, if this was a four-hour movie or a television series, you could explain all that shit. But we're trying right. to do all this in, in 90 minutes, or less than 90 minutes, 10 years after the fact. So there's some shorthand yeah. to be expected here. I think yeah, horror but, fans get their panties in a wad about stuff sometimes that are unnecessary. Like, just if you just go with it, it actually works pretty good because the performance is good. That's what I'm saying. Daniel Harris sells me on this. Yeah, and you have to remember, too, that she's getting this stuffed in her face from school people as well. Oh, yeah, right? you know, Jamie's I mean, uncle's keep... the boogeyman and all that right, stuff. Yeah. Right, so I'm guessing she's had some research or something to know what this man's all about. So that's probably why yeah. she would know it or, or whatever else. But I liked her character. I, I thought she did a good job acting, and I, I, I had no problems with her at all. I think she did a darn good job. Yeah, I thought she was, she was great. And she bumps into Loomis out there, and they go to the school. You know, an interesting place to go. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he's trying to think of a big open place where maybe they can hide well or something. And I, probably I somewhere know, yeah. he could set off a fire alarm to maybe get some attention. I don't know. I don't know what his plan about the school is, but that's the one part I didn't understand was why go to the school. I am told that there is a scene written where they're hiding and Michael is flipping over desks to get to him. That was written. It was supposed to be fantastic and they just didn't have time to shoot it. And that's the, oh. the whole reason the thing existed now not to have it in there. It does seem weird. So, because, <laughs> because I mean, they, they kind of get around him and get away from him there. And that's when the hillbillies show up and the sheriff shows up and all this, you know, other people show up and they take the girls and get out of town while the cavalry starts coming in. Yeah. You know, because we don't know where Michael is at this point. You know, he's, you know, right. he and Loomis have faced off a little bit. They going back and forth in that school. And now the girls are on the truck heading out of town. Right. And now we get to the part of the film that I feel is probably the most compromised bit. The, the big climax, because we're to believe that somewhere either along the way, he jumps on the truck and nobody notices it, then climbs up Indiana Jones style from the bottom or he's been on there the whole time holding the knife and he gets on, on the back of it to take out four guys without anybody noticing what's happening. That's the part that got me too. I mean, you would think that at least the driver would see some or, or even hear. feel or hear the commotion in the yes. back of his truck. Yeah. But yeah, nothing. And I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to believe. Was he on the undercarriage holding on under there? Did he have a sense they were leaving without him? I, didn't quite catch that either. I mean, it's like as if he waited for the fog to come over them and then he emerges. It's very I like I would have been well, even better with it had he just and they didn't ever explain it. But had he just jumped out of off of a damn tree off the side of the road and landed on the truck <laughs> and taken four or five so, of them out. You know? I don't think about I don't think so. That wouldn't have made no sense. He has to have gotten there somehow because he's not going to be like, oh, they're going to escape out of town this route. I'm going to be waiting for him. Ha ha ha. You know. Yeah. So having him attached to the undercarriage or something makes more sense to me than that. <laughs> um, and he does, he doesn't sneak out until after he, they've already misdirected the state patrol or police to the town. Right. So, I mean, he picks his moment. <laughs> I guess he does. It's, I don't know, it's weird, but you, you know that the sheriff and Loomis are hot behind them somehow, you know, cause that, what happens next is Myers takes out that whole truck and the best of which is when he grabs the driver's face and just tears it off in front of him. That's probably the best gore kill of the whole film. Yeah. And Rachel has to get over there and, you know, hey, if you can't find it, grind it, honey. And it's <laughs> trying to sling him all over the road while he's trying to grab at her. And I love how, you know, to finally just scare the shit out of her, he just slams his face into the into the windshield. She's like, damn it. 
No problem here. Yeah. But the the worst it. the worst of this is she hits the brakes and throws him off of it, which isn't so bad. But the fact that he stands up and stands there while she finds the gear to run him over. Like that needed to be a little more bang bang. Because I'm like, yeah. that that looks so bad, the scarecrow she hit. Well, Either, yeah, either that or he just felt like no big deal. If she runs me over, I'll be fine. Right, because clearly yeah. he wasn't. He was down. Yeah. Right, <laughs> he was done. And and little Jamie walks over there while the cops, of course, you know, show up in, in tow, and picks up his hand and he grips that knife. And I'm like, there's no way they're gonna stab this little girl, right? And I said, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe this this you know, series can be weird. They killed a bunch of kids. The you know the last movie in Halloween three, so it's not above it. But then it's like the old west or something. There are, it, I mean, Michael Myers at this point by my count has been shot about eleven, twelve times. You know, <laughs> twice also in the face, which they've never bothered to explain how that works again. You know, in the eyes, in the eyes, yeah, right. But then they litter him with shotgun blasts. I mean, tons of them, and blow him down a conveniently placed mine shaft. Hey, it's gotta be somewhere, right? <laughs> it's boy, it just seemed. I mean, all that seemed to be again the product of a script that got done so quick that they're just and then. That was right, it. you know, yeah, for sure. It, it is, it is a very weird end. She um, picked the right stop to uh, hit the brakes, I guess. Right? I guess so. <laughs> but the real ending is they're back at the house with the parents. The parents are comforting him. Loomis seems to be like, yes, Michael Myers is gone. He's in hell. You know, all this stuff. And then we get a replay of the original Halloween. Little Jamie puts on her clown mask, grabs the scissors, and stabs her foster mother, presumably to death. And then comes down that you know stairwell, holding those things up, bloody all this, and you know Loomis almost shoots her. The sheriff has to get his gun out of his hand, and I, and the look on everybody's face and stuff. I was like, man, that's a ballsy ending right there. You talk about that last one ended on a real downer, and it was like, can we do that? I was like, this is a gutsy ending. Like the evil has transferred to her now. That that was an interesting way to do the return of Michael Myers. I loved the ending here. Ah. I did. I loved how they played it up and the reaction that it got Mm -hmm. from Loomis. Mm -hmm. He's scared out of his gourd. Mm -hmm. Cannot believe what just happened. He just got rid of his long-standing nightmare of the last 10 years, only to have it now reborn in this little girl. I thought it was an awesome twist. Yeah, it's like, not again. No, not again. Right. There it is, right there in front of them. It's it's a great twist, and they're playing the theme song, and then boom, we go to credits, and it leaves us hanging. And I'm like, the, you know, these Halloween films, the better ones almost always leave you hanging. You know, the second one was yeah. mostly satisfying. I think we both gave it kind of a pass, but the first one's ending is what really the the ending is what grabs you. You know, and you never know what happens to them. Yeah, right? and even the third one, like we don't really know what happens at the end of that weird story, and then this one. Oh crap! Is it going to be her now? You know that's right. messed up. And you know this is a film predicated on the idea of the killer kid that becomes an adult and is a killer adult still. Yeah. What if now, now it's we got this another killer kid? Exactly. So I don't know. For eighty-eight minutes, it's it's a bit of a ride for sure. So Brian, yeah. we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers? It was refreshing to have Michael Myers back after what we saw in in 3 without him there. I actually thought this was a good story. Um, I'm kind of sad that they decided to kill off Laurie Strode. I didn't quite catch that um, (laughs) the first time as I watched this, but uh, 
I, I'm, I'm very sad that they did that. However, um, as we'll see later, she may make a return. <laughs> but uh, I thought overall, um, uh, well done. Um, I, I didn't hate any of the characters. I thought the drunken townsmen were hilarious. <laughs> um, I I thought killing a actual human being was without repercourse was probably a little too much. But uh, otherwise, everything made some sense to me. Um, and I, I enjoyed it for what it was. So I'm going to give this a large popcorn. I, I like this one. Well, I, you know, I will say this. I have fond memories of this film from when I saw it when I was much younger. And I've always gone to it and watched it. It's, it's a very different film than the, the others in the series. But in the same way, it, it also does a lot of the things that the first one does. Um, the problem for me is that it just doesn't look as good. And, and I know, I know I'm being nitpicky here for a second, but I think my knowledge of knowing how fast the script had to come together and all that stuff makes me a little more willing to go with it. Because in the end of this, this is a, a an entertaining story. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's pretty short and it gets right to the point. It gets to what we want. And I really like the Jamie Lloyd character. I thought Daniel Harris was a great kid actor. I think Loomis is crazy, but he's perfect in that because that's what he's supposed to be. And I even liked the fact that the townsfolk were a little more in on all this now. It seemed to be a little more down with what needed to be done to take care of Myers. And I'll be honest with you, the ending, the very end of it with, with Jamie really sells me on this mm. film more than just about anything else in it. So I'm going to go large popcorn on it as well. I don't think it's as good as the second one, but I still think it's pretty good. And for a slasher film that came out in that era of slasher films, I can go with this one more often than not. So I, I've always liked this and I'm, I'm glad you liked it too. So I'm going to go large popcorn as well on this one. And you know, we're, we're down in, we're in the, the midst of it now, man, we got a lot more Michael Myers to come. And it's, it's so fun for me to you know hear you talk about it. And you have no idea what's coming because you watch these <laughs> two at a time and then go and see it. And the fact that your wife has seen all of them and she hasn't spoiled you on them, it's even more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know that she's seen all of them, but I know <laughs> she's seen a, a handful of them anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's kind of fun to go on this uh, blind as well. I know you've played it up to me that you've wanted to do this for you know, we've been doing podcasting for about four or five years together. And yeah. you've always, this is one of the series you always wanted to do. And I said, you know, what, when we get to a point where well, it's not as big a burden, because there's so many of them, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do that. And here we are. And I'm, I'm glad that, that we held off and, and are doing this because it's, it's fun to go through. Indeed. And we'll be back next time to talk about part five, which was released less than a year after part four, part four, big success and led right into part five. We'll get to that one on that show. Folks, thanks for joining us on this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click the Filmstrip logo and you'll get to all of the Halloween series plus all the other kind of films we've done. Star Wars, Leprechaun, Hellraiser, No Holds Barred, you know, Fast and Furious. We've got all kinds of movies up there for you to check out. Different reviews, even stuff as old as like Ghostbusters. We've done romantic comedies, you name it. Uh, we even covered a documentary once so about the guy that invented the Jelly Belly. So, I mean, you know, you all kinds of stuff for you there to enjoy with various hosts. You can also find links to the Fabish Factor, the general film podcast and television discussion podcast hosted by Kurt Fabish. And he has Nick and me and different people on that show from time to time to talk about 
you know, top films for years, shows like Game of Thrones, stuff like that. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages where you can follow us and hang out with us on social media. You can find a link to Brian's latest podcast, The Squared Circle Flashbacks, where he and different people take a look at past pay-per-views that are available on the WWE Network and kind of talk about wrestling of that era and all the stuff that you know went down and you know was it good, was it not, what worked, what didn't. That's always a fun show. I've been on a couple of those, and those are fun. And just tons of content for you and for you to enjoy listening to along the way. So, folks, <laughs> if you're looking for a podcast, we probably got one for you. That's what we're trying to say. It's sort of like a podcast emporium at Continuous Play. Thank you again for your support. And until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Homestreet. Thank you for listening to our Halloween retrospective series. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, for more episodes. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of its respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2, Title 17.